Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. There's this gospel reading about an unrighteous city judge who didn't fear God and who didn't regard man and a really persistent widow. This widow had had some trouble. She had experienced an injustice. And she came to the unrighteous judge to avenge her over and over. And he ignored her for as long as he could. But one day, he had had enough and he basically just said, fine. The gospel goes like this from the book of Luke. And the Lord told them a parable to the effect that they ought to always pray and to not lose heart. He said this, he said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. But afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Do you hear what the unrighteous judge says? Will not God give justice to his elect who cry out to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Very often this parable is misinterpreted because some of the interpreters imply that Jesus' message is that loud and persistent begging will just wear down God's resistance and cause him to give in to our requests. But if that was the meaning of Jesus' parable, then it would require that the judge in the story symbolize God, and that can't be because, well, he doesn't. He symbolizes the very antithesis of God. This isn't a comparison to God, but it is a contrast. In the context, it is important. Jesus was talking to his disciples about his return. This chapter, it opens on a conversation between Jesus and his disciples about the coming of his kingdom. Jesus had been discussing the timing of his return when he launched into this story with a point. And there's something very unusual to notice. Right at the beginning, Luke, the recorder of the incident, he gives us a summary of what the story means before we even read it. We don't have to interpret this parable, he tells us. In verse 1, it says, This parable is told to the disciples that they ought to always pray and not lose heart. So the point of the story is that Jesus' followers ought to not give up as they await his return. Do not give up as you await his return. And oh, you guys, are you feeling it? (laughs) The waiting for his return. Because Jesus win. Things are looking pretty bleak out here pandemic, racial unrest, politics, Twitter. Are you about ready? Jesus, because I'm not really sure what you could possibly be waiting for. We are so bad at this. The other day with the latest headline, I laid on my floor flat on my face and I cried just that. We are so bad at this. The dogs were so concerned. We are waiting And there's that large-scale waiting for his return, but then there's the personal waiting too, hoping for something specific that is still out in front of us. 
and that in-between place of waiting, it's familiar to all of us. We know what it's like to be in the middle place between where we've been and where we want to go. Maybe during normal times, it's a job or a relationship, a baby, a certain success that we feel we deserve. Maybe it's news from the doctor, a certain healing for a loved one or for ourselves. But right now, during this pandemic, especially, we are waiting on the tarmac of the in-between because our work lives aren't normal, our family lives aren't normal, our finances aren't normal, our mental health isn't normal, and we just keep waiting for things to go back to normal, but nothing is normal. Things are amplified. In this place of amplified waiting, it's a restless place. It's a place of uncertainty, questions, sometimes even sorrow and fear. And so often our hearts cry in that place of waiting is how long, how long, Lord? But I am convinced that the real problem, it isn't the waiting. I think it's what happens to our hearts while we wait. Because for so many of us, waiting can create a downward spiral of impatience and frustration and selfishness and anger in our hearts. God wants us to live with great expectations, with a constant enduring sense that he is for us and that he loves us deeply and that he will at any moment move in power on our behalf. Let's face it, we are in the middle of a global pandemic and everything sucks. There is so much that we can't control. Loss upon loss and our natural fleshly responses to that are often sinful. Fortunately, God is gracious and he is merciful and he understands our tendencies. Simply feeling deep, complex emotions while waiting, especially for very significant things like the end of a pandemic, that's not sinful in itself. But we get to decide where our emotions take us. We can decide which feelings to exalt. We can decide when things are confusing to lean in to the parts of God's character that we know for certain, which is that he is good and that he loves us. We can decide to not make an idol out of whatever it is that we are waiting for. We can, by God's grace, choose to wait as he intends, praying and never giving up. We can decide to let God be God and we are invited to continue hoping in his greatness. This is a conversation between me and two of my very best friends about how to do just that. How do we deal with what we're up against by continuing to hope in his greatness? My favorite thing about our time together is that as I complained and analyzed my responses during this wackadoo time, my friends made me feel heard and assured me that I wasn't alone. I hope they do the same for you. From the book of 2 Corinthians. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. These are my friends, Wesley Rice and Dina George. Both of them use their gifts of compassion and healing to serve those around them. And on the regular, they speak into my life to point me to the eternal things of God when I cannot see. Dina George and Wesley Rice. <laughs> I am so happy to like see your actual physical faces. It's so wonderful to be together. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you for having us. This is such a joy. So, this is like a balm to my soul to just like to be with a small group of women. I have needed this so much. So we are actually physically present together. I invited you guys on the show to talk about life during quarantine and the many facets of that. 
You are both, well, physicians for starters, but you are compassionate and you're kind, but then you're also knowledgeable and confident. And if there's anything that anyone wants in a doctor, it's of course for them to be empathetic, but also to be very knowledgeable and self-assured. And so y'all are just a beautiful combination of everything that it takes to make a wonderful physician. So I wanted to get into the nuances of quarantine with you guys. Um, but more than all of those things, you are dear, dear friends to me and I'm better for you both. If you could tell a little bit about how you're living life boldly these days, both of y'all have made some decisions lately to go out on your own. And I would love to hear a little bit about who you are and what you're doing right now. So the listeners can um, admire you alongside me. This is uh, Wesley Rice. I have known Allison for many years now, and I absolutely adore her. Um, our children are growing up together, and it is one of the sweetest yes, relationships in my life um, <laughs> between our sweet families. Um, so what I am doing is I am a family medicine doctor that has done outpatient family medicine and obstetrics for the last 13 years, and... I kind of just got tired of the grind of, of typical corporate medicine, um, churning out 25 to 30 patients a day and not spending any real time with anybody uh, took, took its toll on me. And so in the last year, uh, we have made a plan, my husband and I, to open our own much, much smaller direct primary care practice uh, where I can really have relationships with my patients and spend the time with them that I think is most appropriate and not uh, be operating on anybody else's timetable or checklist of what should and shouldn't happen mm -hmm. in a doctor's visit. Mm -hmm. um, because so much of medicine to me and healing is relationship. Absolutely. And you can't do that in five minutes or 10 minutes. Yeah. Um, I don't know. These first five minutes have been pretty healing for me. <laughs> <laughs> being around you. Just presence. <laughs> just being here. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. No, that's great. So the name of your yeah. practice? So the new practice is named Pure Family Medicine uh, and it'll be located in Brighton. Dina. It is truly a thrill to be here. <laughs> Center Saint Sister was introduced a couple of years ago and listening to the episodes, really feeling, feeling the speakers, feeling like I could, I get who they are and what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I get the depth of emotion that they're expressing. I get the story and I see my story in it. To be mm -hmm. sitting right here right now is such an honor. Mm. And particularly because the two of you are shifting paradigms. Mm. That's what you invite or that's what you share is that you're shifting a paradigm. You, Allison, you're shifting a paradigm of what faith looks like. It's mm. not Sunday morning for one hour where you you dress up and you act a certain way and then you go back to however things were. Mm. It's inviting yourself, inviting Jesus into your life, mm. seeing Jesus in your life no matter what you're experiencing, mm. the power of it, mm. having faith to know that you are never alone because there are times in our life, and I'm sure we're going to go into this, that we feel so alone yeah. Yeah. and we don't see any end to it. And, oh, and I think the quarantine really heightens that but what you offer is that faith is always there mm. beauty is mm -hmm. always there and Jesus is always there mm -hmm. when we choose to mm -hmm. look in that direction mm -hmm. so changing Thank the paradigm you. and Wesley you are changing the paradigm of what medicine looks like mm. that it's personalized that it's detailed that it's current and it's evidence-based and it's accessible my my shift, my offering. I want you to speak as kindly about yourself as you just did about us. Yeah. <laughs> what are, how are you shifting paradigms, Dina? That's right. Because <laughs> you're doing the same thing. You are shifting paradigms. The, 
the the shift that I've made in my life is that I truly believe that clear and focused positions change the world. Mm. And there's so much clutter in our lives. There's so so many stories that we tell ourselves that keep us from accessing that that true portal of service and belief and the ability to help those who are suffering. And so the how I work is with marketing and messaging for physicians so that we can get out of our own way. We can share all that is right and good and how it impacts people mm-hmm. and invite them in and serve at a deep level. Mm-hmm. So where do, what's, what's your name? What's the name? Where can we find you on? We'll, and we'll circle around about, you know, back to this at the end too, but sure. where can we find you? So George MD coaching. Thank you. Yes. And it's combining what I know as a physician what I know is a mindset and life coach, and what I know in marketing as a story brand certified guide. Got it. Perfect. Okay, so here we are, ladies, in the midst of quarantine, and we have had some difficult realities mm-hmm. to contend with. And when this first came about, you know, I was seeing people, you know, whether it was a friend in New York, well, Italy, I have a friend in Italy. And she was talking about being quarantined. And I'm like, how do I get quarantined? Like, this sounds fantastic. (laughs) You know, if I could just have a reason, like a very justifiable reason to sit at home with my family. And now, however many, like, you know, seven years later, (laughs) I'm like, I never said that. I said no such thing. So we're we're dealing with, with all of these realities. And the realities are... There's temporary unemployment. There's homeschooling children. There's lack of physical contact, even with very close family Mm. members. And so, um, you know, we're managing our fear. We're worrying about people close to us who might very potentially get sick. Mm -hmm. Um, And and these these are difficult times. This has taken a toll on us emotionally. Before we get into all of that, I'd like to know a little bit about how this has been for you. Dina, how has this been for you? I describe it as a, I've been in the space of everything and nothing. I have everything I need and nothing that that particularly fills or fuels my soul on a yeah. regular basis. Just taking out all of the different practices, taking out the habits, taking out the connections yeah. uh, has, has created a space of nothing. And I remind myself often that it is a temporary nothing and it's a first world nothing. Because yeah. a few years ago, 10-ish years ago, I was deployed in Iraq, and there truly was nothing. And it truly felt like everything was the, every day was the same with a nuance of what particular trauma we were going to deal with. So that was an entirely different experience. And I'm thankful for this experience, for all of the blessings of this experience, that it didn't compare to that. But there still was that sense of nothing at times. Isn't it a weird paradox to feel overwhelmed by doing nothing? Isn't that a strange Mm -hmm. thing? It's like, why do I feel overwhelmed when my life is so simple? Well, I think, and that actually is kind of perfect the way you just said that. Um, So my experience during this time really hasn't been all that different. Work has looked a little bit weird. But as a physician, like, I'm still working. Mm -hmm. I still get up and leave for work every day. I think the thing that has been most different for me... Um, and really for my family too, is that there is this sort of low level fear Mm -hmm. that has kind of permeated the last several weeks. And I hear it from my patients and I feel it myself. 
And I think that may be why doing nothing and having nothing on our schedule feels a little bit overwhelming. Yeah, because there is this sort of baseline anxiety mm-hmm. that is um, that is kind of just there yeah. all the time. Yeah, uncertainty. Yeah, it's uncertainty. Like, and so it's like, well, I mean, can I afford rent? Am I going to be able to see my friends again? Are my kids ever going to return to school? Right. Is it safe to go outside? What's life going to look like if this is all over? You know, you have this really strong temptation to need to know, mm. okay, but when are things going to go back to normal? Right. And in the middle of a marathon, I think one of the worst pieces of information that you can get is, hey, we moved the finish line. And you're like, no, no. <laughs> You said three weeks. <laughs> you know, like I have mentally prepared for three weeks. Yeah. Don't go changing it on yeah. me. So Absolutely. yeah, so uncertainty plus fear. Well, let's um, let's get into some of those um, specific emotions. You know, all th- there's a there's a plethora of them, mm-hmm. by the way. And and um, as emotions rise, these emotions they change people. I mean, I'm I've dyed my hair pink. My neighbor like very much got into a physical altercation on aisle 13. Like this is not in her nature. Pink hair might be a little bit more in my nature than having a fight is in hers. I alluded before that at first as an introvert, this was really exciting for me. Um, except the truth of the matter is that I was never alone because I'm not just raising a big family, but I'm raising a big family of extroverts. And they have like met my word quota by breakfast. The the paradox again of being alone and yet never being alone. I read something, it was in a New Yorker piece, but it said one tragedy of loneliness is that lonely people can't see that lots of people feel the same way that they do. Mm-hmm. I think that is helpful actually. I for me, again, <clears throat> excuse me. I I get up, I go to work every day, I see people my my daily routine really hasn't changed all that much as a physician during this time as opposed to like my husband whose daily routine is completely different than it normally would be right. he's the one that's staying home full time with our children yeah. while i leave and go to work and it has it has taken a major toll on him mm-hmm. and i see that mm-hmm. um he is the extrovert in our relationship mm-hmm. and he's the one that is stuck at home <laughs> all the time Granted, we have six kids, so it's not like he's alone, but he's not making the social connections that he normally would have. Normally, right. he has meetings all day, every day um, to, to do his work, to, right. to run his, his business. Um, and those have all been virtual or those have all been um, different than they normally would be. Um, but I think the thing that we've all felt, and, and we really kind of vocalized this a few weeks ago when we got together, or a couple weeks ago, when we got together for the first time after all of this isolation, was that we all missed our human connections. Mm-hmm. Even though I'm going to work and I'm talking to people yeah. every day and I don't, it's kind of on a conscious day-to-day level, I don't feel lonely. Mm-hmm. But when I was able to get back together with my dearest friends for the very first time yeah. after all of this, it, we were tearful. We were tearful, yeah. and it was there was this very clear emotional weight that was lifted by being present in the same space yeah. together. Because Zoom meetings just don't cut it. Do they? they don't. It's yeah. not the same. Yeah. yeah, it's not the same as being physically present in a space together. Yeah, this has been an interesting experience in the sense that I don't know that I would use the word loneliness. But I, I would certainly say there are times that I've felt numb. Mm-hmm. And I've, I felt like 
my work wasn't mattering. Yeah. It wasn't enough. Mm-hmm. There, I wasn't seeing, I wasn't able to create something that I could really see the impact in or see the influence on or help lift somebody up. That's what was missing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it felt very much like not enough. So I would say that's the the emotion that that came up with me was not enoughness. Yeah. And in coaching and doing some line, life and mindset coaching, that's one of the things that that many physicians are struggling with is not enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, one of the things that I realized for, for myself is that my relationships had become very one dimensional. It was like I was provider and I was provider only. Whereas before, I was living days that I very much took for granted. I was, I was friend, sister, I was mentor, I was, you know, being compassionate to someone um, in a grocery store line. You know, there were just, there were all of these opportunities to live this very multidimensional experience. And it's like, now there's just one. And it turns out just one isn't quite enough for me. (laughs) And what you said, Dina, I, I, I had this strange mix. It made me mad at myself actually, because I was, I'm having anxiety that I'm not working, that I'm not producing. Um, and then yet, and the, on the very same hand, I'm holding the same feeling of anxiety about having to go back to work, about having a calendar fill up. So here I am anxious that I'm not working and yet anxious that I'm going to have to go back and then doubly anxious that that doesn't make any sense, (laughs) you know? Um, okay. So let's talk about anxiety. Yeah. So I think, I think anxiety might be the prevailing emotion yeah, I think so too. during this time. Yeah. I have another one that, is, that I think is a close second, mm-hmm. um, and we'll get to that in a minute maybe. Um, but professionally, my patients' anxieties are through the roof. People who don't normally seek help for anxiety right. are calling, asking for help with anxiety, whether it's counseling or whether it's medication or whatever. Yeah. Like, it is taking a toll, and I think it's because of all the things that you've already mentioned, that there's there's financial insecurity, there's job insecurity. So you have a job today, but what's gonna happen if your business closes? Um, there's, there's educational insecurity. Um, we're very fortunate in this room that all of our children have the resources that they needed to finish out the school year, but there are plenty of people sure. in the community who didn't have that. Mm-hmm. They don't have internet at their house. They don't have a computer their kids can use. They can't do distance learning. Um, both parents are working and the kids are just left to do it on their own. And, and so there's, there's so much insecurity. And like you mentioned, the end point is a bit of an unknown. Yeah. We don't know what the long-term impact of this virus in our community is going to be. Um, we're doing our best to sort of make policies and change behaviors and, and set procedures in place for something that we don't, really fully understand that we don't know what the impact is going to be in the long run what's it going to look like six months from now we don't know and so it's building the plane while you're flying it exactly and the experts don't even know like you know your husband is the expert and he doesn't know (laughs) we've talked about it a lot (laughs) people want to tap into his crystal ball all the time right but he doesn't have one because (laughs) nobody knows the answer to these questions Mm -hmm. and that is hard for our human mind Mm -hmm. Like, I think we can all have a certain degree of, of grit or of staying power if we know what the end is. Yeah. It's like you mentioned about the yeah. marathon. Like, if you know where the finish line is, it's a whole lot easier to just grit your teeth and get there. Yeah. But if you don't know, 
there is this whole exactly. feeling of anxiety. Anxiety is tricky for me because you can ask me, hey, are you feeling anxious? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. But the truth of the matter, you looked me in the eye in your doctor way and you were like, do we need to talk about how you're not sleeping? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm worried about how you're not sleeping. Yeah. And so I will say, no, I feel fine. And I'm not lying when I say that I do feel fine. And yet I have a face full of fever blisters. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there are these physical ways that it's that it's expressing itself absolutely and yet emotionally I'm insisting that I'm fine mm-hmm. yeah do you have yeah. anything to add about anxiety Dina and one of the things that has been stripped away is the busyness that calms many people's nerves right? oh interesting I'm gonna go do this I got to take care of this and and we don't let our minds go in certain places that make us uncomfortable because we can distract and stay busy that's really why good. Do, why do people wake up in the middle of the night with their minds spinning around and everything they were worried about during the day is there? It's because we didn't think about it during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But this whole quarantine situation has brought it up that we we see it, we feel it, we may have a name for it like anxious or anxiety, but we may have another name for it like restless, uncertain, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. paralyzed, yeah. afraid. Yeah. And it's amazing how our minds work. Like we've got two completely separate systems. We got the one that keeps us alive and that means listen to the fear, doubt, and uncertainty because they're real and they're going to kill you. Right. And that is what takes over. And then we've got this little tiny voice that says, wait, there's more. Mm-hmm. Wait, you love. You love people. You love God. You love Jesus. Yeah. You're called to be more. You're called to serve in this way, but that's a whisper. Yeah. And the fear, the doubt, the uncertainty, oh, that is so screaming good. at us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's what has happened for many of us during this time. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that anxiety for me, it's like this hum in the background where if I'm really still and concentrate on it, I can pick it out. Um, It's like the hum of an air conditioner that just went off or, you know, you can hear the cars passing by or a TV in the background. But when you're busy, it's easy to ignore. And so now that we're not, I mean, I think that is an excellent, excellent point. The stillness mm-hmm. has just made us aware of the thing that we probably live with every day. Mm-hmm. And now we're kind of forced to confront. Mm-hmm. It's really good. Wow. So, so the, in, in that regard, does quarantine have potential to be really healing? I mean, if you're forced to confront these things that you have been busy enough to ignore. Absolutely. It has the it has the potential to be whatever it is we want it to be Mm -hmm. because we're in the midst of writing whatever our story is. One of the beauties and gifts that you bring is that you're a storyteller Hmm. and you share the story you lived and the lesson you learned. And the lesson you learned is what you made from the story that you lived. Right now we're writing our story and we can take away anything that we want from this experience. We can take about out how we laid on the ground because we didn't feel like there was any use to get up and what we learned from that experience. We can be the hero of our story. We can Mm. write it any way we want. We don't even have to have an ending right now. Right, right, right. But we can imagine one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's this one thing, if I ever feel like things are spinning or whether it's a situation that I feel I'm not in control of, which I think we need to get to next, um, but like, if I feel I'm, I'm not in control of something, there's, there's this, I mean, I'm picturing like a, a really a spinning or a flooding, uh, but there's this way to kind of put your foot out and stop it. Mm-hmm. And when I put my foot out and stop it, what comes next is the sentence, I'm not powerless here. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that what goes along with that sentence is the reframe mm-hmm. of, okay, it's not, I'm stuck at home and I can't do anything. It's, I get to help my community by 
staying home and not potentially getting sick or getting anyone else sick. Yeah. So there's that reframe of, it allows the shift of control, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. where you're in control of something instead of um, being mandated, yeah. you know, or by letting something it control else. you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Absolutely. It's like the Flintstones. Do you remember their car? Yes. <laughs> right? They had to move their feet really fast to get it to go. And then when they wanted to stop, they just put their feet down. <laughs> to dig your heels in. It's a good, yeah, exactly. It's a good image, isn't it? It's um, perfect. But I think it's so true to, to really understand where you're at, where your mind is at, where you're spinning around, how it, or just to see it spinning, to have a sense that you can grant yourself grace, compassion, peace, mm-hmm. a deep breath, whatever it is, in that moment, you can give that to yourself to know that you're alive, this is part of the human experience, and you don't have to keep going in that direction. Right, right. I mean, I just think people fare better when they think of their actions as a conscious choice instead of a circumstance that's been thrust upon them. All right, let's let's move to control because I, this has been a big one for me. I, um, you know, there's this feeling that things are out of control, and let's be honest, they are. <laughs> Yes. You're not wrong. It's true. (laughs) Um, We can't control the virus. We can't do that. We can't control these very basic aspects of our lives, you know? And so I, for one, have been leaning a little too hard on some coping mechanisms. Like all of my vices are in full swing. I mean, I'm eating ridiculously. I don't even want to know how much weight I've gained. I can't imagine. And I, I say this with kindness and in a tender heart. I, there are so many alcoholics in my life that um, I love and respect that are just the most wonderful people. But I can't imagine if I struggled with alcohol or, yes. you know, or just any kind of substance abuse. I mean, my, my substance of choice is, um, is easily accepted, mm-hmm. you know, as, yes. as normal. Um, and yet it is, it is the exact same. It, it is an addiction and it is in full swing. Yeah. Well, so, and I don't think you're alone there. Yeah. I think many, many people are because like you mentioned at the beginning of that that thought is that these are things that we historically have used to cope mm-hmm. with our anxieties mm-hmm. or whatever you want to call yeah. it our uncertainties yeah. our insecurities mm-hmm. whether it's busyness whether it's food whether it's um Netflix or just sure. sheer distraction yeah, from what's scream. going on yeah. um and and I think everyone is doing that yeah. to some degree or another, unless they've made a conscious choice not to, uh-huh. you know, and I, and I think those numbers of people who have recognized this situation for what it is mm-hmm. and decided to say, no, I'm going to control what I have control over yeah. and I'm not going to eat that extra Twinkie and I'm not going to go down the TikTok rabbit hole and I'm not <laughs> Shush it. No, I'm not talking to you. No, no, no. Your TikTok is amazing. I'm talking about my husband's TikTok. <laughs> Yours is, is really funny and entertaining and helping lots of people cope with this situation. Uh, Matt's TikTok, on the other hand, not so much. Um, it's just a distraction. <laughs> Uh, but it, but it is, that's, you know, we've all kind of picked up mm-hmm. these, what would be sort of normal minor coping mechanisms. Yeah. You feel bad and you have a bowl of ice cream or you but feel you bad and you have a glass of wine. Yeah. But, but now they are amplified yeah. in a way that they can't be in our normal busy life. No, because you have to be functional. Correct. And, so, like, and you have to go places yes, and do things. And you have a and... meeting to go to. Time <laughs> yes. to get off the TikTok. Yes. Yeah. 
it makes sense to me on an intellectual basis as well as at an emotional basis that there are things that predictably give us a result. Mm -hmm. And if the result that we're looking for is to be soothed, Mm-hmm. to use our parasympathetic nervous system to kind of rest and digest and relax those emotions, that's what we're going to do. And those times that, that thing, everything is escalated, we're going to use it more. Yeah, Totally makes sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. One of the particular challenges that I found is church is closed. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and church for me is a, a centering place. The well has been closed. Mm-hmm. That is a centering place. Yeah. Um, so trying to find substitutes for it or using the substitutes that reliably work yeah yeah (laughs) is is a default sure yeah Yeah. you know it's interesting something that you said made me think of this I don't know that it relates if it does it's loose but that need to be nurtured um I don't know what word you just said but um I'm lacking nurture in my life and I think that you're right it's those places where I normally experience nurture whether it's my girlfriends or church. Um, but one thing that I've noticed, I put my finger on this a couple of days ago and it felt significant to me, but sometimes if I go to bed, it's, it's kind of a, I feel a little sheepish because it's like a really personal way that I go to sleep, but I will go through, um, a list of ways that a list of things that I want to do for God. So, Mm -hmm. so I'll lay there and I'll, I'll just say, God, I obey you. God, I honor you. God, I revere you. God, I worship you. So it's like all these, these actions and lately I've noticed that as I'm going to bed, it's, um, I love your mercy. I mm. love your comfort. I love your tenderness. I love your care. I love your wisdom. And so it's things that I'm receiving mm. instead of things that I want to do for him. It's ways that he is nurturing me. And so I've, I, it, it's just a shift. It's just yeah. a really big shift, but it feels like a good one. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks to just our relationship with God in general, mm-hmm. that God is present to us in the way that we need him mm-hmm. when we need him. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's just a beautiful observation of yours mm-hmm. that your prayer life in that way has shifted during yeah. this time. Yeah. Um, because in normal life, when we're busy and you are creating and producing mm-hmm. and and sort of promoting mm-hmm. faith, love, spirituality, forgiveness, all the, the beautiful ideals that you help promote to the mm-hmm. community, um, that is very much your role for God is as, as, a, as a servant, as a promoter, as a, um, as a publicist, as a, you know, like, yeah. hey, God is great and here's why. And, yeah. and, but right now, you are feeling this need to just be held. Yeah. And, and he's here just yeah. holding you yeah. because that's what he does. Yeah, yeah. What this brings up for me is the idea or the how much our minds look for evidence. So if I wake up and I say this day sucks, I'm going to find all the evidence on why this day sucks. Mm, yes. Yeah, If right. I wake up and say God has richly blessed my life, I'm going to find all the evidence on why that is true. And that's really a gift that we can give ourselves is to direct our mind into what we want to see. And and what you just shared, Allison, is that practice of gratitude. Mm. That's what you're seeing. Mm-hmm. That's what you're feeling. Mm-hmm. That's what you're experiencing. That's what you're open to. Mm-hmm. Um, that we can can shift in that direction 
or push ourselves in that direction. Yeah, Sometimes right, that's right. what it takes. Mm-hmm. It's and, putting the foot down, right? And like, I'm not powerless here. I have a decision to make. Right. And look for all the reasons on why it's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Okay. Well, that is a perfect segue to what can we do, ladies? What are some things? What are some of your helpful tips for getting through this new way of life? Because even though um, things are lifting and things are lifting all across the country, yeah. um, it's a little different depending on which state you're in, totally. but things are lifting. So what are some, what are things that we can do um, as we enter into this new way of surviving and coping because it will look different? Um, can I just talk briefly about grief first? Yeah. So I think the other thing that I'm seeing people feel, and I think Dina's spoken to this beautifully, that we can choose our mindset. You can choose to let this sort of bury you, or you can choose to grow from it. But one of the things that I've observed um, from my patients within my friend group is that everyone is experiencing some degree of loss during yeah. this time. Mm-hmm. Whether it's loss of freedom to just move about the community like you want to, whether it's loss of your church community because you can't gather in person the way you want to, whether it's actual loss of someone's health or someone's life mm-hmm. um, because of the virus or any, th- any other reason, um, or whether it's just a, what I would consider sort of a micro loss. Mm-hmm. Like, I thought I was, I thought my identity was found in this, and right now that's not happening. Yeah. Um, or I thought that I had this great relationship with my children, and turns out we don't really wow. like each other that much. Yeah. Or I mm-hmm. thought that, you know, so these are not visible losses. These yeah. are, nobody can look at your life and go, oh yeah, look what they've lost. Yeah. But it's still a loss. Yeah. And I think it deserves a little bit of recognition. It's so good. Just within your own mind. Yes. And a little bit of space to grieve those losses. And I think, again, this is just my observation of people in my practice or in my community, but I think so many of us don't feel like we've got permission to grieve those micro losses. Sure. Because you're comparing them. you're comparing them to someone who's lost their father yeah. or their own health or yeah. something really massive. Yeah. And yet it is still a loss. It still deserves some space yeah. and some and some attention. Yeah. Um, because if we don't grieve these losses, then they will create behaviors and coping mechanisms on their own within our mind and the ripple effect will take months or even years to unpack Um, and so it's something that just sort of became clear to me over the last couple of weeks in talking to other people and I think it just needs to be said so that would be step one if you're talking about how do we cope what do we do Mm. number one recognize what you've lost and give it a little bit of space gosh Man, you took that to a deep place. I was like, keep a schedule. And you're like... But that's part of it. So when you start talking about how do you deal with grief, like let's say I'm walking someone through the loss of a loved one, which I've done many times in my career because that's the nature of medicine. Um, 
but but those things are important. Keeping yeah. a schedule is one of the ways you manage grief. Yeah. You don't let it overwhelm you. You say, okay, here are the things I'm going to do each day. I'm going to pray. I'm going to connect with my friends. I'm going to go to work. I'm going to produce something. Um, so, so those are all coping me- yeah. mechanisms. Yeah. They're coping mechanisms for all sorts of things, mm-hmm. but I think it's really important to put a name to what we're all kind of right? feeling. And there good. is loss and grief during this time. Yeah. And you can choose to think about it however you like. Yeah. It can be a stripping away of things that weren't really that important, hmm. and maybe you're not so sad about it. Yeah. But it's still important to recognize it. Yeah, that's no, good. That's really good. What about you, Dina? Any advice? Well, I have a guide, and I'll send it to you, on the four ways to get unstuck. And mm. this goes along with what you're sharing, Wesley, is the things that get us stuck are when we compare ourselves to others. Mm-hmm. We start looking around and we see everything we're not. And mm-hmm. right now, boy, we all probably have a huge list on what we're not. Yeah. We start judging ourselves. We judge ourselves for what we're not. We judge ourselves for what we should be. It's like we beat ourselves up and then yeah. we beat ourselves for beating ourselves up. Yeah. We, we create this no win yeah. in our minds. Yeah. The third way is with, is the, the third way to get unstuck is grant yourself permission. And you spoke a lot about that. Granting yourself permission. This is your experience. Let it be whatever it is and then shift into whatever it is you want. And then the fourth way is to set a different standard. I work with people that have impossible standards and then they beat themselves up because they don't meet them. Sure, yeah. (laughs) We don't have to have an impossible standard. We can have a possible standard. Yes. We can even have an easy standard. Right. And we can celebrate along the way. A writer that I admire posted something on Instagram the other day and she was like, Hey guys, I just want everyone to know I haven't written one word during quarantine. Okay? Like, it's it's just what you're saying. Like, new standard. I have not created at all during quarantine. And that's okay. Um... Okay, anything else? And it, it certainly, y'all have taken this to a really deep place. It can be simple. First, what I would say is we don't have to believe everything that we think. Mm. I used to. Yeah. I used to believe it all. And I will tell you that my days were not pleasant. Yeah, Because <laughs> right. I believed it all. And where my mind wanted to take me was to a place to see that the world was against me. It was yeah, me right, alone. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and when I stopped believing all of that... One, that's when I started really feeling God's presence. Mm -hmm. Two, became a lot more grateful. And three, learned how to serve at a different level. Yeah. So these are the questions that really help me when when I'm in doubt or when I don't know if I should believe where my mind wants to take me, I use these four questions. And I need to come up with three. Just, you know, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that's three. Somehow I have four. So maybe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Mother Mary. (laughs) Yes. I like it. The first one is I ask myself, is this real? Yeah. Is this real? Mm -hmm. And I I ask it in a in a way of saying, kind of like if your mom was asking you, Mm -hmm. did you really do that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Number two, is this relevant? Wherever Mm. my mind wants to take me, whatever's coming up, whatever I'm circling around about, is it relevant? Uh Is it relevant right now? Yeah, it's good. Like I don't need to think about ten years ago. Not relevant right now. Right. That's good. The Mm -hmm. third one, is it necessary? Is it necessary to be in this spin? Is it necessary to be thinking about this? Is it necessary? Is it going to help me be closer to God? Mm -hmm. That can be part of the question too. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth one, is this creating the results that I want? Is this creating what God is calling me to be? Is this creating fill in the blank? Mm -hmm. 
And it and usually one of those questions will bring my mind back like that, back to where it needs to be to really fill what I am here to do. Right. Really well, ladies, I'm all filled up. There is nothing like sitting around and talking for 40 minutes with two of your very, very favorites. I love y'all both so much. Will you please tell our listeners where to find you? So I am at purefamilymedicine.org or on Facebook at Pure Family Medicine. So I'll be at the well. <laughs> oh, me too. Yes. <laughs> Cheering. And what a great place to really get refueled restored mm. and excited to continue God's work. Mm. Uh, GeorgeMDCoaching.com Dina GeorgeMD on Facebook. Um, listeners, these women are just as kind and generous and loving and smart in person as they are on in this conversation. Just what a joy. I, y'all have both been so wildly supportive of me as a person. Y'all are such dear friends to me. Thank you so much. Um, a beautiful conversation. Uh, can do a lot. So I think that would be my last piece of advice is make a real connection with someone. Reach out, make a phone call. Um, I love you both so much. Thanks for coming on. Please come back. This was so good. Yeah. Dear God, we are in the middle of trial and turmoil and you are right beside us. Though our endurance is being stretched and our patience is being tested, you are a God who is near. You are not an unrighteous city judge who responds to us out of what may or may not inconvenience you, but instead you are our kind Father who loves his children and grieves when we grieve and responds with compassion. Help us to come to you, God, over and over and over with hope in our hearts, believing that what you tell us is true, that you are long-suffering, and that you will avenge us speedily. Thank you, God, for not losing patience with us. Help us to trust our struggle. In one way or another, life is hard right now. We are climbing hills. And when we're climbing hills, help us to know that we can be sure that there will soon be a clearing. It is coming. Help us to also know that these hills are important, that finding patience in our climb, it is important. Help us to trust that our worry or our loss or our sadness, our anger, whatever it is that the hills are making us feel, it is a necessary feeling and that the hills we trudge are necessary hills because we are being sharpened and you are making us like your son. God, please bring healing. Please offer us your protection. Help us to face the challenges of this pandemic. Help us to know that everything is in your sovereign control. The patients, healthcare workers, first responders, public servants, the friends and family of those who are ill, the business owners, the unemployed, all of the children doing their best to cope also. We are so needy for you, God. We take refuge in your shadow until this disaster has passed. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
And for this episode, a special thank you to Dr. Dina George and Dr. Wesley Rice. Please look to the show notes to find their information. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Center St. Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center St. Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on Patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at CenterStSister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.